So this is actually where we're going to be going into in the next bit of our series that we're doing in Colossians. And I'm excited. Uh, it's one of those passages that uh, uh, some of you is going to put your nose out of joint, and that's okay. And some of you are going to get quite worked up about the passage, and I'm glad we get to talk through it. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We don't have much time this morning, but I do want us to kind of get there. So Colossians chapter 3 is where we're at. And as you're finding it, I'm going to need to kind of refresh us a little bit about where we've been uh, to help us get into the right kind of headspace to receive the passage that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. And the first thing I want to remind us about is something that we talk about a lot here at Riverside. And uh, it's the statement that we make. Because whenever we kind of come to church, whenever we get engage in God's word, there's some mistakes that we can make. And the first mistake that we can make is when we read something or hear something, we can go, this is something that God wants from us. Instead of understanding and coming to God's word and understanding this is something that God wants for us. And it is a big difference. Because when we think about everything that we read, everything that we hear, in the kind of the headspace and the framework that this is something that God wants from us, we approach it with kind of anxiety, uh, shame, guilt, kind of condemnation, and we go, oh, this is not something else I have to do to earn God's love. And we go command after command, and we see like hard passage after hard passage, and it just kind of like waits us. And then we kind of quit and we go, this is too hard for me. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm not experiencing God's love because we just think God wants from us the whole time. This is what we've got to do to earn favor, earn love, earn uh, kind of uh, our salvation from God. And that's a mistake that we can make. But especially with what we've been doing in this Colossians series is understanding that there is a life that God wants for us. And so these things that we've been preaching about, these things that we've been uh, discovering in God's Word, and it's why this series is called Fully Alive, because there is a life that God wants for us. It's not uh, uh, easy. Some of these things have been very hard. And let me tell you, as an eldership, uh, our hearts are full. Because the stories we are hearing from you, how you guys have been engaging with God's word, as you have been kind of submitting to this and going, actually, I do understand what God wants for me. And so I'm going to surrender to it. I'm going to take these words in a different light. And I'm going to actually apply them. I'm going to live them. I'm going to realize that God wants me fully alive. And the only way I'm going to do that is in a posture of surrender in a posture of obedience to his word and actually seeing just how much God wants for me, not from me. And so I wanna encourage us with that this morning again as we're going into um, some practical teaching that Paul, the writer of this letter, is giving to this church, framing it in what God wants for us as his people and uh, that this is going to, again, further enable us to be fully alive, to be fully uh, in line with what He wants for us and our lives. And so I want to encourage us with that. As we have been going through Colossians, and it's been a while, uh, I wonder if you've noticed there's been a couple of like cycles that the writer has gone through. He unpacks the gospel, and he goes into something practical, like how do you handle holidays? How do you handle uh, food and, and what you drink? And then he goes again into an aspect of the gospel. He unpacks the gospel a little bit and then goes into issues of sin. 
And what Paul, the writer, has been doing, and it's so important again for us to be aware of this, is everything is rooted in the completed, finished work of Jesus. And that enables us, and when we think about what Jesus has done and the greatness of Jesus, then we go into a practical outworking of our faith and we into another bit of that again. We, um, Steve, last week, and we're gonna just touch on that passage again briefly, again, speaking about the wisdom that comes from Jesus. And we're gonna go into something practical. But uh, I wanna take you right back quickly to... Uh, one of the first messages we did in Colossians, Colossians chapter one, it's gonna come back because this is where it all starts, right? This is um, where we start to think about even getting practical with our faith is the right positioning of Jesus. So Colossians chapter one, verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I don't expect you to remember all the way back to that sermon, but one of the things that we said in that message is Jesus went first, so we put him first. In everything in our life, Jesus holds the position of supremacy. He holds that position in creation. He holds that uh, position in the church. And so he should hold that position in our lives. And so what we've been building towards throughout this whole series is actually trying to get you to put Jesus first in everything. When it comes to your life, the way you think about everything, Jesus is first. He holds the position, as I said, creation, the church, in our lives. He is supreme. He went first. We put him first. Then, as we started to go through some of uh, what we've been going through in Colossians, as we've been, again, talking about the gospel, going into practical stuff. Talking about the gospel, going into practical stuff. If you missed last week, you need to go onto our app, uh, go onto our website, podcast, download it, give it uh, a listen to what Steve preached because, again, just such a powerful um, unpacking of God's word. And again, it's talking about what God wants for us. And, and what makes us rich in Christ, and there it is, it's gonna come up again. So uh, this is uh, the immediate context of the a practical outworking of where we're going. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace, to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Again, when uh, Paul writes letters to churches, there's always a prayer of wisdom. There's always a call for us to think about God's word in, in a different way. And for us, we know one of the wisest things we can do is to abide in Jesus, to take his message from cover to cover, everything that is about Jesus and dwell on it uh, because that is gonna make us rich in our faith. And so, with Paul going and speaking about the message of Christ, um, you know, admonishing and teaching each other with all wisdom, I wanna ask you this question. Where in your life would you or do you need uh, the most wisdom? 
When you often kind of uh, struggle through things and you wish that you kind of uh, had it all together and you had uh, all the wisdom that you need uh, for some of these situations, how many of you would say it's actually my household and my family? All right, some of you are lying, but some of you are honest. Or maybe I'm preaching at the wrong church this morning. Look, I've got a very complicated family and uh, I need wisdom. And uh, where I need the Word of God to dwell richly in me is in my household. I don't know about you guys, I have a wonderful wife, you know her, but I'm a very difficult person. And so sometimes, because uh, I'm not gonna put the conflict on her this morning and throw her under the bus like I usually do, but how many of you have quarrels and have hardships and uh, have moments of tension and things are hard between you and your spouse? Okay. How many of you have issues with your children where things are hard and you just wonder, am I doing the right thing? Okay, we've got a little bit more honesty here. How many of you as, uh, who don't have families here but have a hard time with your parents? And you know, there's, there we go. So you're still putting your hand, you know. Family is a big deal. The household is a big deal. Many of us, if not all of us, struggle at some point, sometimes some of us struggle every single day with our households. It's not easy. I know how many of you are struggling right now with your marriages. I know how many of you are wondering, am I raising my children in the right way? I know how many of you are parents of teenagers and young adults and the sleepless nights you have over what uh, your, uh, your teenager is getting up to and the kind of space they're in and the decisions that they're making. I know the weight that is on your heart with where your family's at. This is a, a, a hard thing that many of us go through. Many of you, um, and we're gonna see, Paul's gonna kind of just talk into the household and, and the household has changed in society to what is mentioned here. That many of us don't come from uh, a, a, a place where it's a husband and wife and 2.5 kids is the standard average. I don't know who has half a kid um, as the stats point out, but many of us are from blended families. Many of us are divorcees. There are, in this room, there are, are, are widows and widowers. Uh, there are uh, parents who've never been married. There's some of us who are desperately hoping we're going to get married. And maybe just to encourage you, God has not been alone uh, for a second. Uh, God is always in community and being created in His image and likeness. I think we are created for community. And so just uh, persevere a little bit longer um, because I don't think aloneness is in the will of God. And so singles, uh, don't feel out on this. Uh, any of the speaking as we speak into household, you have friends, you have other singles, you are in community and you will be uh, in a household one day. And so store this up and treasure it in your hearts for then. But we're gonna talk into the household. We're gonna have a look at, and as again, Paul has been very practical through Colossians. The supremacy of Jesus how the death and resurrection just impacts every aspect of our life. Jesus went first, so he put him first. So we think about all of these different things. We've spoken about sin, we've spoken about holidays, we've spoken about food, we've spoken about drink, even spoken about angel worship. Now we're going to get into the household. And I know this is where we don't like to go, right? This is why we build massive walls. 
um, and we have our, our private space and uh, we like to keep what happens in the home in the home and we're very private that way. But I wanna really position this and my heart is really burdened for this this morning. There is hope and healing in Jesus. And God cares about your household. As a church, we care about your household. We care about your children. That's why Jody and her team do the kind of job that they do with your children. And we care about you as adults. And we care about your family. We care about your marriage. And this is an opportunity that maybe you go, I don't know where to turn to. Maybe you have never turned to Jesus with your family. And uh, there's an opportunity for you to do that uh, in the space that we're in. And already there are families in this space this morning that God wants to do something incredible in your marriage, in your family, in your lives. And even as you hear these words and we go into this, I really want you to start to position yourself into surrendering to the Lord. All right, so um, we all need wisdom. We all need help and grace for our families. So uh, Colossians chapter three, uh, verse 18. We're gonna read from there. Instructions for Christian households. Wives, uh, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you uh, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Well, maybe just stop there for time. But as I said, uh, this uh, passage does like to get people's backs up, uh, especially some ladies in the room who are, you know, 21st century feminism. We've moved on from some of the archaic things of the past. What do you mean I have to submit? And uh, maybe this is new for you, this uh, church thing. And uh, what do you mean slaves obey your masters? Come on, uh, haven't we abolished slavery? But yes, um, this is God's word. And let me just quickly touch on the slavery thing. Um, slavery in a Roman context uh, is far greater than the slavery that we see today in our world. In fact, a slave in a household here had a better chance of economic empowerment and getting out of that than what most of our domestic workers have today. So don't be upset that the Bible promotes uh, slavery. Just in a little bit of context, uh, they were part of the household and they were included in the household, and uh, there was a lot of encouragement to them, and economically, uh, they were not as bad off as what some people are today. We might get into that in a, in a little bit, uh, in a few weeks' time, but uh, for now, at least, just understand uh, we hate slavery. The Bible doesn't promote slavery. Uh, understand the context um, that they were in, and they were part of and included in the household. But I wanna just um, understand that when we look at the picture of the household, we need to understand holistically uh, what the Bible teaches when it comes to this. And uh, when it uh, often talks about Jesus and the church, he gives the picture of the household as reference to things, right? So you might know in, uh, there's another passage similar to this in the book of Ephesians where it talks about husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
When it sometimes talks about Jesus and the church, it gives reference to the household. And again, the household is so important that that's some of uh, the imagery that comes with Jesus. We talk about Jesus uh, coming back for his bride. Uh, the relationship between Jesus and the church is likened to the bride and the groom. I, don't, I know some people don't like that reference to the church being the bride of Christ. But again, when we think about Jesus, we think about the church and we think about the household, we see some uh, important things that come out. One of the things that we see is we see responsibility and authority. And why I speak about that is because we, we don't like the fact that uh, Paul and the Bible runs through some kind of order. Husbands, then wives, then children. We don't like that. Ladies don't like the fact that, oh, what do you mean I have to submit to my husband? Do you know what he gets up to and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and, 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 and we struggle with some of those things. But we have to understand how it's likened to the church. And when we look at the order and, and the kind of the structure of the church, we see authority and responsibility, right? What do we hear and read when it talks about Jesus and the church? Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus is coming back for his church. That's where, where scripture talks about the bride of Christ. The reason he's coming back is he's coming back for his church. Even as we read in the first bits of Colossians, he is the head of the church. There is authority. Now for me, I am not the authority in this church. As elders, we talk about ourselves as kind of like under shepherds to the main shepherd. We take our responsibility very seriously in light of the authority of Jesus with this church. We pray for you. We study God's word for you. We try and do the very best job we can for you because of the authority and responsibility of Jesus and that what we have, I'm gonna be held accountable for Jesus one day for you guys. Same as Stephen for all the elders in this church. It's a big deal. Within church, there's authority and responsibility. Jesus is head of the church. So that gets uh, the similar kind of thing when we look into uh, the household. There is authority and there is responsibility. I'm gonna stand before God and I'm going to be responsible for my family. No one else's but me. That authority and responsibility is on me. Yes, my wife is very good at a lot of things, but she's not going to be responsible uh, before God for her family. That's on me as the man and uh, as the husband in my home. So we need to see that in Jesus. We need to see that in the home. Jesus has that authority because of what he did for the church. Hey, Jesus gave himself up for the church. He was the one who died on the cross in our place for our sin. That's why elsewhere in scripture it says, love, the or love your wife as Christ loved the church. We see uh, what he did to establish that. Now, part of what we do is we can often think about family and church and life. Again, we talk about this often in very compartmentalized ways. So my work life is separate from my hobbies, which is separate from um, my family and church. Everything is kind of separate. And one of the things that we need to start thinking differently is to have this kind of um, thing where we don't have parts, but it's this, this whole where Jesus is first in everything. And what we can do is we compartmentalize faith and family. And an example of that is, well, okay, 
The only thing we do as a family is we go to church. And that might be as much as Christmas and Easter for some of your families when you're all there together. And even then, we just, kids out the door, thank you very much. I get peace and quiet for, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. Some of you might be a little bit further than that. And it's, well, we say prayers on Sundays when we have a family meal. Uh, or we say grace when we remember. You know, maybe it's a case where every now and again, you've done some family devotions. Uh, I remember uh, once going to watch rugby at a guy's house. And um, we were a, f- a few friends, and the one friend's dad was like a former Blue Bulls player. And so anyway, loved rugby, always a good vibe to go and watch with him. And uh, when I met him for the first time, and this sometimes happens, it's not something that you guys have to deal with very much, but when I introduce myself as a pastor, uh, people get really weirded out by that. And uh, when that happens, they start to behave a little bit differently, try to like dial down uh, some of their antics and uh, how they normally behave. And um, if you have an African gray parrot, it never lies. And so uh, this guy had an African gray uh, parrot that uh, sat in the, just off the TV room. And so we're watching this game of rugby and this guy, he's talking to me about, yeah, you know, he goes to church and he's a Christian and all of this kinds of uh, things. And uh, the ref blew the whistle and this parrot ran off a string of expletives at the ref. And this guy's face was just red and he just like kind of like hung his head in his hand. And this was say like African uh, gray parrots never lie. And this guy couldn't hide from the fact that, well, he tried to show that, uh, you know. Uh. So here's a question. Is Jesus first in your life? And does your family see that? Or do they see it only on a Sunday? Does your family see how much you love Jesus? during a tense rugby moment. How does your family experience the supremacy of Jesus in your life? Because that's at the heart of what I wonder, uh, I'm running fast out of time, kind of encourage us with. Because this is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be fully alive. And some of the things that causes us the most pain and anguish and stress is our household. Some of you work as late as you do to maybe avoid being home. But I think there's something else on store for us, which is a thriving household. And the goal is for all of us to get to a place where Jesus is first in my life, that my wife experiences the supremacy of Jesus in my life, that I experience the supremacy of Jesus in her life, that what my children experience is the supremacy of Jesus in my life. There's an old uh, pastor from Canada, Mel Blackaby. Uh, Some of you might have read his book, Discovering uh, God. And one of the things that he spoke about with regards to his son, Richard, he said, if my son does not see the joy of Jesus and the joy of my salvation and the joy that comes from the fact that I have experienced the gospel, I failed as a parent. Because some of the mistakes that we make is we go, well, I'm a believer and uh, I should have brought up three chairs. But imagine three chairs here representing some generations. 
So here's chair number one. It's me. I love Jesus. I've surrendered my, my life to him. It's his and I serve him every single day as best that I can. I am a believer. I have my son, Aaron. Now, a mistake that can get made and a mistake that many of us make is I don't take the seriousness of the gospel uh, for his life. And so he kind of grows up in a home that's Christian. So we go to church, we, we talk about Jesus. And so he just, you know, grows up. And so he ticks the form Christian. But the gospel has never been a, a reality for him. I often heard it, and uh, I think it was um, J.D. Greer's wife who coined this, and, and, and I like it. Um, Inez is a missionary to an unreached people group, and they're my children. Because while they are in a Christian home, they themselves have yet to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so what happens is, if they just stay on that second chair and they take a secondhand faith, they go, yeah, my dad was a pastor. Yeah, my dad was a Christian. By the time he has kids, he's so far removed from personal salvation that there's no longer a gospel that's rooted in our home. And it's something that we've got to start to really think about as families is, is the gospel centered in our home? We talk about our next gen ministry as thriving as it is. And I'm not going to bore you with the entire kind of statement around how we structure our next-gen ministry, but there's a key statement in our next-gen thinking, is next-gen ministry exists at Riverside to be a secondary voice to families. The way we have set up our children's church and what is happening over there is a secondary voice. We're very aware that it's a secondary voice because if you guys with children come every single Sunday, uh, we invest 40 hours a year into your children. That's all we have It's 40 hours a year. But they will always have a household. They will always have a home, which is why Paul is starting to address and speak into a household. Because we need gospel-centered households for discipleship. We need gospel-centered households to lead children to the Lord. I've told the guys at Kids Ministry this, that it's not their responsibility to lead my children to the Lord. That responsibility is on me. I love that they love my children. I love that they uh, serve week after week and put the hours that they do in to that ministry. But I wanna say to you guys as parents, if your children are there, that's not their responsibility to disciple and lead your children to the Lord. They're the secondary voice. Yours is the primary voice. Man, and if you don't have children, there are so many people in our church, um, our, our high schoolers and our young adults whose parents don't love the Lord and who are not here that need you guys to be investing into their lives. Deuteronomy chapter six says this. The context is, uh, God's people entering into the promised land failed to obey God. A whole generation died out without entering into uh, the promised land, the inheritance that God had for them. A new generation under a new leader is now in place. It was Moses and the first generation that came out of slavery, out of Egypt. Now it's Joshua and uh, a new generation and they're preparing to enter into the promised land. And Joshua says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, uh, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. The responsibility of teaching the next generation about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord was on the parents. It happened in the household. That was the place where people heard about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. I want to encourage us this morning. The goal is for us to be fully alive households, to be households that are blessing, uh, a blessing to other people, households where Jesus is first, households where husbands love Jesus where in everything, Jesus is supreme. In the way that we engage with our work, the way that we engage with our spouses, the way that we engage with our children. Do you know that the average um, time spent a week uh, of intentional time with parents or with dads and their children globally is five minutes a week? Right? How, how are we gonna raise up uh, children in the Lord, if dads are spending only five minutes a week of intentional time with their kids. I've shared this stat before. Most people are saved under the age of 18, right? That's a, where guys are influenced most for Jesus, which is why we put such an effort on kids' ministry. But a survey was done that most of those children were led to the Lord first by their mother, second by their grand, third by their aunt. Right, dads are, low, or are at least higher than pastors and we've shared that with you. But ladies, man, you are, uh, there are, so many people have come to faith because of you. And so you cannot downplay the role that you have of leading people to the Lord, especially in your household. Steve spoke about um, this last week about how we could run off a number of practical steps and we are gonna get practical in this. But even before we get practical, is there a desire in your hearts to have the word of God dwell in you richly? Is there a desire for you to put your hand up and go, I want Jesus to be first in my life in all things and that means my home, which I kind of keep separate from everything else. I don't allow people in. You know, one of those things, we never speak about the problems that we have in our marriages. We never speak about the problems that we're having with our kids. We never speak about our fears and our concerns where we're at. It's something that we keep quite separate. But is there a desire in you to go, actually, I want to be the best husband I can be for the glory of God. That's what I want. I wanna do what it takes to put God's word deep into my heart so that I'm transformed into the likeness of Jesus so that my wife thrives, my household thrives, my children thrive because they see what it means to have someone love Jesus. Right, the goal is for my children to see what it means to have the joy of the Lord, the joy of salvation, a relationship with Jesus, grace lived out. What does it look like for a husband, for a household where a husband tries to put Jesus first in everything? Abiding, remaining in the words. What does it look for a wife to do that? One of the joy that comes from that where a husband, a wife 
Love Jesus. Put him first. Surrendering to that. Because conflict becomes easy when you understand how much you've been forgiven in Jesus. Discipline becomes a little bit easier with your kids when you realize Jesus does not discipline me the way I discipline my kids. All of that becomes easier when we are transformed and surrendered fully uh, to the supremacy of Jesus to say, Jesus, you are first. So I'm gonna make sure you're first in my marriage. I'm gonna make sure you're first in my parenting. I'm gonna make sure you're first in everything that I do. Right, are we gonna end now because we need to get to that refresh. But guys, I'm, I'm burdened this morning for you. One of the things... You know, somebody asked me, is there something that you would change in your life if you could? And uh, I said this, uh, I would have loved to have met Inez and married her earlier. And uh, I'm not trying to score brownie points here. But my marriage is one of the most important things in my life. And uh, I don't know how... um, I would have got through some of the things uh, we've needed to get through as a family if we didn't have the kind of marriage that we have. And uh, a thriving, gospel-centered marriage is one of the most beautiful things that we can experience. Many of you can attest to that. And uh, I wanna encourage you guys, as we're starting to go into this, I want you to start positioning yourself into being more vulnerable than what you ever have before. If you are struggling with your kids, sign up for the parenting course. There is no shame in saying, I need help in raising my children, right? I need help in raising my children. We all need help in raising our children. Doesn't matter if your children are six months or 18, they're still your children and they still need you as parents. Uh, The dynamic just changes the older we get. But if you're struggling there, get help, right? We have a parenting course. Man, if you are struggling in your marriage, if things are really on rocky ground, As I wanna tell you, I said this earlier, there is hope in Jesus for your marriage. We have people in this church who work full-time in that kind of space. We have uh, the eldership. There is the journey program. There is so much available that you do not have to be struggling in your marriage. It might take a lot of repentance. might take a lot of confession. might take a lot of surrendering and bringing Christ first. But do you want your marriage thriving? I'm sure you do. And come to Jesus. As I'm gonna pray for us, and I just, um, I want you just to re- respond to the Lord where you are. I wanna pray for parents. I wanna pray for marriages. I actually just wanna pray for all of us. But if you just, if you just need from the Lord this morning, then just raise a hand to Him. And just as you receive as we pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for your supremacy in my life. Jesus, I'm thankful that you love us and what you want for us is to be fully alive. Our households, Jesus, are important places. The responsibility as parents to lead our children in the Lord. Lord God, I wanna pray for parents.
Even right now, Jesus, I wanna pray there are some parents in this room who have tried everything in their power to lead their children to you and their children have still walked away. Jesus, I wanna pray for them. Jesus, we know that your word said if we train a child in the Lord, they'll not depart from you. So for those parents who have pain in their hearts over children who are not following you, Jesus, we pray for your grace and your power in that situation, that you would intervene for parents who have uh, damaged relationships with their children. Lord God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring restoration and healing into that that those homes would start to be really healed. Jesus, I pray that you would help the men in this room to put you first in everything. It's hard to surrender. It's hard to forgive. But Jesus, for men who, here, Lord God, want to love their wives as you love the church and to lead their children the gospel, Jesus, I pray for your grace and your mercy on them and the empowering of your Holy Spirit for the task at hand. Lord God, I want to pray for marriages that are really in pain at the moment. God, you restore and you heal. So Jesus, I pray that you would bring that in this place. That where people need to forgive, Jesus, I pray that you enable them to forgive. Jesus, I pray for healing in marriages this morning. And just for all of us here, Father God, we are all part of a household. We pray for wisdom and your word as moms and dads uh, live together as husband and wife and parent their children. Lord God, empower us by your spirit for that. Jesus, we wanna be households where Joshua said, as for me and my household, we serve the Lord. Gospel-centered homes, Jesus. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.